The richest man in the world will not be attending a gathering of the richest men in the world because he says it'll be boring AF. That's as friends say it will be. Uh, And that's Elon (laughs) Musk's opinion of the meeting of the World Economic Forum in Davos, Switzerland. Uh, Gentlemen, I think Davos is interesting for uh, a variety of reasons. One, you've got, well... If I were a mean-spirited guy, I might call it a target-rich environment. But you have the richest and most powerful people in the world all gathering in one place to, well, frankly, try and determine the rest of our fates. How successful exactly they'll, right. they'll ever be in that is, I, I, I suppose, up to us. But um, I've come up with a theory about what they're really up to at Davos, and I'll, I'll, I'll get to that in a second. Before I do, though, uh, part of me wonders if uh, Davos might be losing a bit of its charm for the richest and most powerful. Elon Musk won't be there. He says it's boring. Can I, oh, yeah, go can ahead. Can I interrupt you for one second, yeah. Steve? Could, could you just explain to people what that is for those people who may not be familiar with what's going on at Davos and so the World Economic Forum? The World Economic Forum was started by uh, a German billionaire, uh, Klaus Schwab, uh, uh, German billionaire and Bond villain in 1971. And Bond villain, yes, yes. Um, he's very much into things like uh, all kinds of social controls and global depopulation and just generally bad stuff. Um, but he won't be in attendance this year, even though it's his WEF that puts on Davos. Um, he's claiming a scheduling conflict, as though he didn't know this oh, thing sure. were, were going on. George Soros. Plus he's also like 84 years old. <laughs> yeah, he is. George Soros won't be there. Another Bond villain billionaire. Uh, there's a rumor he's having some health issues. I don't know if that's true or not. Um, also not in attendance this year, Joe Biden, Janet Yellen. Bill Gates. Uh, these are some some pretty big names, whatever you happen to think of them as individuals. Um, before we get into all the, the, the paranoid stuff, which, believe me, I will, um, I just want to ask, when you see, Bill, these big names not in attendance, does this make you think that Davos is no longer such a big deal, or has maybe the real power moved to something a little quieter? I think there's no question that the brand has become a little more toxic. It's been under the radar for most of its existence, and for the last two or three years, ever since it became known that uh, that Klaus Schwab had said uh, had, had uh, it was originally a, an attendee at World Economic Forum, so a, a woman I believe from I want to say from Montreal, who basically said, "I'm 30 years old, I don't own anything, uh, you know, I don't own my apartment, I rent everything, and I'm happier than I've ever been." So World Economic Forum took that and tweeted it out as, "In the future, uh, no one will own anything, and everybody will be happy." No one will own anything, really? Okay. Mm. Um, so that that got a lot of mileage. Um, they've been beaten up a lot on, on rightfully so, for, for, for the... Cause, see, the, here's the thing about Davos. They they say the quiet part out loud and they do it on camera. And, and once it started to hit critical mass in terms of enough people knew who this was... I'd, I'd never heard of uh, Schwab two years ago. I had no idea who he was. I have a real good idea who he is now. Yeah. And I suspect that that I know for a fact that they've said that they are now going to have to launch a kind of a counter uh, campaign, you know, to, to to buff up their image. So it's possible that these guys wanted to. Um, the, the fact that Schwab isn't there is he didn't have schedule. This is his entire life. This is the only thing he does. The the the, the one meeting of the no no. Um, so so they're just they're just plain awful people. And and when I say they're awful people. You can listen to these seminars that they give at the World Economic Forum, and you get guys who say that, no, consciousness is, is simply a series of, 
of, of chemical reactions. It's just it's just a it's just a chemical algorithm. Straight out of Alice and Roy. we can crack yeah. and we and we can crack that algorithm. And once we crack that algorithm, we'll be able to tell people what they're going to do before they do it. And these are the same guys that think they can transport uh, human intelligence into silicon machines and so on and, and live forever. And, and they're the people that are determined that, you know, well, it'd probably be good for the planet if we were to reduce it by 80% of the population. And these are the people. I, listen, I was listening to one of them today from the current speech, just a clip. And she was talking about how they're going to be able to, you know, now they're, they're able to hack the human genome and they'll be able to add super intelligence and all the rest of this stuff. I noticed they haven't found the wisdom gene yet, but they'll be working to avoid that. Uh, but here's what she said. She said, and this is, this is considered a feature. This is like something to look forward to. She says, already we have the technology for smart glasses, much like the ones I was wearing now. So she's wearing glasses that look like this, right? So she says, we already have the technology for smart glasses to remove from your vision things that you don't want to see. Like if there's garbage by the side of the road, we, we can make sure that you don't see that. Homeless people, we can make sure you don't see that either. And I thought that may be the most dystopic thing I've that's ever straight out of heard. They and, and, that's quite, and that's quite a bar to clear when you're dealing with the World Economic Forum. But it's like, we have the technology to make sure that you can go through life in your little bubble that you're living in now. And if you should ever have to leave the skyscraper, we'll make sure that you don't have to witness the starving people or the, or the dead bodies or the piles of garbage or the, or the food riots or the burning buildings. We'll just, <laughs> we'll just take it out. And, and there, these people are so deep into the trap of, of intellectualism, they genuinely think that 50 of them knows what's better for 8 billion people than the 8 billion people do. They genuinely believe this. And, um, and the only thing that I think is hopeful is that, is that they're, they're not going to achieve any of these things. However, uh, Schwab, in, in, maybe it was a taped introduction because I heard him open the, the thing. He said um, that this might be the year of, uh, what do you call it? Um, polydemics. Polydemics. As in yes, multiple be epidemics? Multiple epidemics, yes. Oh, polydemics. Yeah. Okay, I get it. Yeah, polydemics. Uh, I think that was a term he uses, poly something. And he starts a speech by saying, the world is in such a state of crisis. There, there are so many, so many ongoing crises that are converging on 2023 that we must sit down now and figure out a master plan for the future. I'm thinking, what crises are you talking about? I know about the, I know about the well-advertised one, right? There's going to die in three years if we don't shut everything down. But... This idea that you know that that you you can like I say, Steve, they say the loud they say the quiet part out loud, right? Yeah. We're going to create a sense that the world is is heading for such imminent catastrophe that the only solution will be to allow this this small group of super genius elites and their one world government to take the reins before we go careening off the cliff into into uh, you know uh, extinction. And I think they're a little surprised. In fact, I, th I know they're a little surprised. In fact, I know they're quite surprised that regular people not only seem to have a problem with this, but are pushing back against it. The plebes. Yeah, uh, some of the pushback uh, came last year in the Netherlands, where thanks to this whole global environmental movement, there. Uh, most people don't know this, but the Netherlands is the world's second largest food exporter after the United States, and the government wow. is shutting down the farms. Left and right. That's by far the most efficient farmers in the world, yes. including Americans. By yes, far. Yes, that's and, and so we're at a time with eight billion people, and on purpose 
They are shutting down the world's second largest food export. 3,000 farms. Yeah. It's, it's, it's madness, but it is part of this depopulation. And, 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 and what's the pretext well, for that? It's good for the environment. Climate. They're reducing carbon. Oh, yeah. I see. And Bill Gates, um, you know, the computer guy, who's uh, one of the key founding members of this, is the largest holder of agricultural land in the United States. He may be the largest holder of agricultural land in the world. He may be on the board, but I doubt he's a founding member. It started in 71. He was pretty young back then. Okay. Well, in that case, he's, but he owns, I think the number last, uh, if I remember correctly, something like 270,000 acres of farmland. Wow. That's, that's, that sounds like an awful lot. Uh, Scott, get hurt at, with dirt. At, at this year's WEF, a uh, Swiss MP proposed uh, that we change our cities where there's no individual ownership of cars and that will punish businesses that don't align with environmental goals. Uh, Jane Goodall said, you remember Jane Goodall, uh, Gorillas yeah, in the Mets? Yeah, the monkey said lady. Yeah, she said, <laughs> apes, not monkeys. Uh, she said at the 2020 conference that we need to reduce the human population by about 7.5 billion people. So, Bill, not 80%, more like 95% of the human population. By the way, bye gor- bye. Gorillas in the Mist was Dean Fossey. Um, oh, Jane Goodall was a cheap that's researcher. Right, that's right. My bad. My bad. Um, uh, she was applauded for that statement, by the way. Uh, Brian Stelter is currently hosting a panel about the clear and present danger of disinformation, which is like me. Are you serious? Which is like me hosting a sobriety panel. Um, That's expertise for you. If they've got Brian yeah. Stelter, then my fear of these people went way down by a, by, by two orders of magnitude. Oh, right. Uh, by the way, Brian Stelter looks like he's been eating a little too many Beetle burgers, even even more so than before. Um, so yeah, Scott, they're they're really open about this stuff. We're supposed to eat beetle burgers. Uh, meat is going to become a, a a delicacy. Eat your bugs, peasants, until there aren't any of you left. Uh, last year, maybe the year before, I can't remember. I coined the phrase that uh, paranoid now is just being three weeks ahead of the news cycle. Uh, <laughs> what do you? Is there anything to say to comfort people that these people? These billionaires, these government officials don't actually mean it? Well, first of all, I think part of the comfort comes from actually hearing them say it out loud. I want them to say it out loud. I want them to say it very publicly on recorded uh, media of some sort. I want it to be broadcast uh, throughout the corners of the globe so that everybody knows exactly what's being said. And all of it, not just the clips that are selectively chosen. Because I'm sure if you went to it, it would be more like Elon Musk's reaction, which is 99% of it is boring as heck. And there's really nothing... (laughs) Like, if you went to it once, you'd go, well, the next time I'm going to skip the sessions and just hang out in the hotel bar. <laughs> so, uh, because it's not, it's not that compelling. Uh, so, number one, I want them to keep talking. Number two, if I were a Hollywood screenwriter, I would go there every year. Because, oh, man, right. what a rich environment for the, the depths and the heights of human uh, experience and depravity. And um, there is a utopianism about it all that says if we, you know, originally Klaus Schwab was a young ac- academic. And, uh, you know, if, if getting a bunch of academics together along with the enlightened business people. And the way you get enlightened as a business person is you become a billionaire. Up till then, you were just a scrappy, filthy capitalist. But then once you become a billionaire, <laughs> then you're That's an enlightened right individual and getting them together to fantasize about a, a, a world being a better place while the world is basically saying, we don't want to be a better place. <laughs> Leave us alone. <laughs> you know, There are some little adjustments we'd like to make at the margins, but we don't want to fundamentally transform our way of life in the way that you envision. Um, I read a brief interview 
with Klaus Schwab in the Wall Street Journal. And um, I, I felt like it was time ill spent only because even though it was a very brief interview, nothing was said. Um, and then I heard a story on National Public Radio about the, the World Economic Forum uh, meeting. And it seemed like a recurring theme was this crisis of what they were calling deglobalization. And the deglobalization mm-hmm. is basically the result of the shock of the COVID pandemic, which made people suddenly reevaluate, business people reevaluate sourcing of of, uh, especially hard products of tangible things um, and your ability to be able to have, uh, the focus was on, hey, how can we do it cheaply taking advantage of the global marketplace? And now it is, how can we do it reliably? Realizing that when crisis hits, yeah. When crisis hits, then we may be in a pinch and no matter how cheap it was, it, it, you can't get it at any price. And so that that's, I think, a useful thing for those people to think about. But I did n- notice in what you said and also what I read and heard, um, there was this recurring theme of epidemic, logistical crisis, inflation, global warming, Ukraine war. And it made me think that even if you have the best intentions and you want to solve the world's problems, if you spend all your time trying to solve the world's problems, you eventually come to a viewpoint that says the world is nothing but problems and you can't see anything else. And so your day-to-day life, and I see some very sincere, well-intentioned people who are upset about one uh, injustice or crisis or another, and they become so wrapped up in that that they miss out on the joy of life. Um, and, you know, relationships are damaged as a result of it. And, you know, they and, and they're basically shutting down and narrowing in on this area that's not working right. And it becomes everything to them as if you held your thumb up in front of your eye and could no longer see the moon. Um, and so I, I think that is the challenge faced by any group of people that wants to get together and come up with better ways of doing things is eventually you begin to think, well, nothing's working. Everything has to be changed. And you're your vision of what's possible becomes colored by your perspective that everything is a mess. And it's just not. <laughs> and so I feel sorry for these people. And and finally, on the topic of Jane Goodall and uh, and depopulation, you first, honey. <laughs> right. Yeah. Paul Ehrlich, couple- who they dug up practically from the grave, is saying the same thing. After 60 years of being wrong, this guy is back in the news. You were saying, Bill? Real quick, Steve. Yeah. Um, first of all, um, the uh, World Economic Forum... I love the idea that the deglobalization has happened because of COVID, because the WEF was singing the praises of lockdowns and how good it was for the planet. They put together a little film that basically said that showed like Times Square empty, right? There's no cars in Times Square, like Omega Man kind of thing, right? There's nobody there. And they're saying, you know, the lockdowns had a lot of benefits. Carbon, uh, world carbon output was cut by half. Yeah. Uh, the amount of noise, ambient noise in the cities went down by 50%. In fact, the earth got so quiet that scientists were able to listen to micro earthquakes that they'd never been able to hear before in order to predict large earthquakes in the future. And they had all these good reasons why it was just grand that everybody had been locked in. And and the, the ratio on this, when people saw this, was so appalling that they that they took it down. But I, I do want to say just one thing I wanted to lead with this, actually. You know, a lot of people, I'm obviously an Elon Musk fan. A lot of people say, well, Elon Musk does this, and, and, and I get all of that, right? But I remember thinking, okay, if Elon Musk is going to the World Economic Forum, I will that, that will significantly 
reduced my respect for him, significantly increased my suspicion of him. And the fact that he didn't go is reassuring to me because he, he may be a, a, an eccentric billionaire, uh, you know, control freak lunatic, but at least he's our eccentric <laughs> billionaire right. control freak lunatic. And and he, he tweeted, he said, he said something like, um, I think he said the direct quote was, uh, well, uh, first of all, I think it's going to be boring. And secondly, it kind of gives me the willies. But, <laughs> yeah, but, he was but, and then he said, but I'm sure. It, which I but, love that. But I'm sure, he said, but I'm sure everything's okay. And then he did those, like, those eyes, that eye emoji, like, you know. <laughs> like, eyes. Uh, Are you sure? And, and, the only th- and the only other thing I wanted to say about this since the name came up is we passed another, like, significant milestone in the, in the, um, in the colonization of space uh, since we did this last show. Um, SpaceX launched two vehicles on the same evening from two separate launch complexes. Oh. That means that we don't just have a, a robust uh, single spaceport access to, to, to space now with, with you know, 193 consecutive recoveries of boosters. Now we can launch from two different places at the same time, and, and, and pretty soon we'll be able to launch from three. I think there's one was Vandenberg, one was Kennedy, and, and you've still got Texas, yeah, right? Got so Boca. if you've got a company... Yeah, if you've got a company that's able to launch two completely separate missions that just happen to be better for the orbital mechanics to launch them on the same night, that's what you would call, that's capacity. That's reserve capacity. That's a bench. You got a good bench. Bill, I, almost, I think about impressive. the same week, they did a Falcon Heavy launch for Space Force and nailed those booster landings side by side on uh, landing pads on Earth. It was amazing. Yeah. Uh, Bill. So in four days, then in four days they they launched two two Falcon nines at the same night, and they, then it was going to be like two days later, but they pushed it back a couple days. Then they launched the Falcon Heavy and and nailed that, and that ability to do two missions at the same time. I don't believe NASA. Well, that's not true. NASA did that with the Gemini. Uh, I want to say six and seven, but but in any event, it's impressive. I uh, I almost did my my segment this week on this very topic, so I'm going to go off on a on a little tangent of my own here real quick uh bill it's there's even more to it than you said because at the same time they had a dragon crew uh coming back from the international space station and they had they had something else in orbit as well i can't remember what it was off the top of my head but you know when nasa launches anything they have the uh the the institutional resources to focus on that one launch and that's the one big thing and that's it spacex having this ability makes them just the biggest player not just now but ever ever i'd hate to see what would happen if uh if elon musk were not so distracted by twitter (laughs) or tesla or the boring company or anything tesla just slashed their prices during the same week tesla dropped the average cost of a car by like 7500 to thirteen thousand dollars or something yeah yeah big big cuts it's get it's going to be a competitive market i'm so glad he didn't go i'm so glad he didn't go yeah Tesla shares have been, pra- have been priced up until they crashed, like Tesla was a tech company, not a car maker. But they're a car maker, and those shares had to come back to Earth, so to speak. Uh, gentlemen, uh, there's a lot going on here with, with the paranoid stuff. Bill, you, you mentioned this, uh, that, uh, that vision of 2030. It was written by a Danish member of parliament, and the article said, Welcome to 2030. I own nothing, have no privacy, and life has never been better. And the WEF didn't just tweet that out. They actually published it on their website. And hmm. when the commotion hit, they scrubbed it. They tried to pretend like it didn't exist. And now there's a uh, thing going around where uh, the paranoid right made this up, except we've got the screen caps, okay? This was on the WEF website. Um, 
I've never been so proud to be paranoid right winger in my life. <laughs> right. They really are out to get you. I, and it, it gave me this vision of the future. They, 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 they want us not to have cars. Uh, you'll be able to call an Uber or ride the bus if, you know, it's the hours that the bus is running and your social credit is in good enough standing to, and to get on And if your social Uber. score is good enough, because if that, if that QR code goes red like it did in China, you are locked in your house yeah. and you can't get food and you can't get on a bus, you're done. You're, you are done. You'll, you'll, you'll eat your bugs. Uh, Everything you'll have to watch on TV in your little apartment will be woke and monotonous and boring as hell. Uh, the best, I guess you could say, is that uh, pot and shrooms will be legal to give you something to do to pass your, your wretched hours. And my theory is they, they can't do the whole Nazi death camp or Soviet gulag thing anymore. Nobody will put up with that. But if they can just keep us locked up and bored to death, we'll just depopulate ourselves. Now, maybe I sound paranoid. But three years ago, the paranoid ones were the ones who turned out to be mostly right. So we'll see what happens. The good news is, uh, who was it? Um, I've got my notes here. Uh, Christopher Rufo, who's uh, just a brilliant guy. He's going to be running. A, he's going to be on the board of that uh, university that uh, DeSantis is turning into a, a real liberal, liberal arts school again. Um, he had this Twitter thread, I think, on Monday. That's a real must read. You should look for it. He said. Uh, I want the political right to be effective. And the focus on the WEF is a distraction and an inferiority complex. He says, if instead of the WEF, we focus on civil service reform, institutional governance, anti-ESG legislation, and higher education reform, we'd be much better off. In other words, we're going to steal a line for the left. Think globally, act locally. And that's your right angle on that. Brought to you by the members of BillWhittle.com. Hey, hey, just one more time. If you're watching these for free, totally worth it. But you'll feel even better if you become one of our producers. So join BillWhittle.com today. We'd love to have you on board. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next time.